0: Bankruptcy Institute podcast on current issues of interest to the insolvency community. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. Today we'll focus on some aspects of the current crisis in housing and some new proposals in Washington offered up to help troubled borrowers and homeowners. Each day brings new headlines screaming about the scope of the crisis. By some estimates, more than 1 million mortgages are seriously delinquent, defined as more than 90 days past due or in foreclosure. Of these, more than half are subprime loans, even though subprime loans make up only about 14% of all mortgages. Home sales have dropped sharply and inventories are high in many parts of the country. The secondary markets are collapsing with a resulting liquidity crisis, reducing available mortgage credit. Estimates are we could see a 15% overall drop in national home prices before the current cycle ends. The implications are profound, as the U.S. residential home mortgage market is the biggest credit market in the world, with about $10 trillion in outstanding loans. A 15% drop in home prices would equal more than a $3 trillion loss of wealth for U.S. households. Those who are highly leveraged with other debts are especially vulnerable, and the bankruptcy implications of the bursting of the housing bubble are obvious. Over the past nine months, a number of regulatory, legislative, and industry-sponsored options have been proffered to stabilize the housing markets and to provide some measure of temporary, if not lasting, relief to borrowers facing foreclosure. To help us sort through some of these proposals, we have as our guest today one of the nation's leading housing experts, Alex Pollock. Mr. Pollock has spent 35 years in banking and housing and related issues including 12 years as president and CEO of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago. He's currently a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute here in Washington and has recently testified on Capitol Hill on the current crisis. Welcome to ABI Podcast, Alex. Thank you very much, great to be with you. Now, official Washington, which I'll uh, describe for my purposes as the administration, Congress, people running for office, are known to chase headlines the way dogs chase cars. Uh, <laughs> so it's natural that we have an army, uh, and an array of voices offering solutions. If you were the treasury secretary or a member of Congress, what would be your best options regarding the foreclosure crisis? And first, I should ask, is this situation so severe that the market or voluntary measures aren't going to be enough?
1: Well, let's start off by saying uh, this is a severe bust in the real estate mortgage and the the housing sector uh, with very large losses, as speaking of headlines, we keep reading in the headlines, uh, not only in uh, investors in mortgages, but with the failure of uh, over a hundred subprime lenders, huge losses in the home builders who are in a depression uh, of their own. and uh, of course, a variety of financial uh, organizations, and also uh, mortgage insurance companies and, and bond insurers, all experiencing losses. So we have a we have a serious uh, bust on our hands. With the uh, as you mentioned before, with the downturn in house prices, which is the underlying uh, asset of uh, naturally for mortgage finance. But it's by no means a unique occurrence. It's uh, as I view it. Um, one uh, of a whole series of uh, boom-and-bust financial cycles which occur throughout financial history, and this one is very uh, true to form. Um, they, typically, the pattern is that there is a, an asset, in this case, houses and condominiums, which is seized on by the, by the boom and by the, by the psychology of the boom as that thing which is the new greatest investment whose price must always go up, and uh, once the price always go can, can only go up. Why the more debt you have, or the more leverage you have, the better. Uh, and the the increased debt and the increasing prices feed each other in a uh, in an upward spiral. And of course, it can't last forever, so it doesn't. Uh, and then the spiral goes back down, and the falling prices and the uh, debt problems, defaults, and losses then feed each other. In a in a downward spiral, and that's the bust, and that's what we have. That's a, a, a very typical uh, pattern throughout financial history, and so, in that sense, uh, here we are again in a serious bust, but by no means uh, by no means the worst uh, ever. It's obviously far, uh, not even in the same universe of seriousness as the
0: 1930s. Uh, okay, so. Um... Uh, the measures that we've seen uh, suggested as uh, temporary uh, responses include, uh, and I'll just tick off a few, uh, and you can certainly supplement it if I, if I miss any, we've had the Hope Now Alliance, uh, the program of voluntary restructuring of mortgages for troubled borrowers. We had a, uh, also a, an industry-sponsored uh, measure of arm rate freezes Uh, for five years, uh, immediately derided as the teaser-freezer option. (laughs) Uh, We have the expanded uh, FHA loan authority uh, raising the caps on uh, government-backed loans uh, signed into law just as part of the stimulus package uh, just this week, Uh, and even a tax code amendment enacted to exclude from income cancellation of indebtedness as a result of mortgage restructuring or foreclosure. Do any of these things strike you as an expert in housing and and these boom and bust cycles as being uh, a uh, helpful response to what we're dealing with? Uh, And you forgot to mention the increase in the uh, uh,
1: conforming limit of loans that Fannie and Freddie combined, which also just got included uh, in the stimulus package. Right. Uh, I divide when I uh, think about what you could do uh, I divide the responses or potential responses into two classes. Long-term structural changes you could make in, in order to make the the uh, mortgage finance system work better and short-term temporary changes to try to offset uh, the, the downward spiral of the bust. Let me just first mention a couple of long-term things because they weren't on your list. Uh, and of those, in my view, the single most important would be to create uh, a straightforward, clear disclosure to the borrower of what uh, the borrower is actually getting into in a mortgage and i uh, I, I opened up my mouth in front of Congress uh, earlier in well, I guess almost a year ago and said, you ought to be able to do this on one page. Right. And uh, having said that, I then... You created I, a one page. I, I did. I went back to AEI and said, well, I guess I better do it. And actually it turns out to be harder to do than you might think. But I, I do think it is doable, and I have this, this one page disclosure form. Mm-hmm. What's different about it from uh, anything anybody else has done is it focuses on the household income says, this is the household income we say you have in order to make this loan. You may remember part of the problem here is uh, that somebody was lying about income. It might have been brokers, it might have been the borrowers themselves, but you want to really have a, a confirmation of the household income. And then the form goes on to say, and this is how much of that income it's going to take you to pay this mortgage principal and interest and property taxes and and house insurance at the beginning in what if you have a teaser rate structure and on a fully indexed basis afterwards, so that right. you, you're really clear with people. I think this is the single single most important long term uh reform that we could make because it is quite clear that for most people uh, the the so called disclosures we have are just befuddling right yeah, uh, and for many people, they get into. Obligations which which they are uh, legally undertaking without knowing them. So so my notion is, uh, people ought to be free uh, in a large measure to enter into the contracts they want, uh, uh, including contracts under which they're taking a good deal of risk, but they ought to know what they're entering into. Right. And if they are taking risk, they ought to say, you know, I have nothing against the idea of somebody. Uh, wants to eat oatmeal uh, three times a day for three years to buy the house of their dreams. Uh, that's okay with me, but but they ought to know what it is they're getting into. Right. So the the, the one page form I I think would be a, a, a very important. Uh, it's such a simple and obvious idea, and yet it doesn't exist yet as uh, in the American mortgage process. So that's one.
0: So this would replace the sort of HUD one that exists now. Uh, I'm
1: not suggesting. Replacing anything because politically it's really hard to take anything away. Mm-hmm. I'm just suggesting this is the first thing you get, and it's one page long. Right, and you can really—it's something that you can really understand.
0: Right, it works for me. Anybody who's been to a house closing knows that you don't, you know, read any of those yeah. uh, that foot-high stack of paper.
1: That's it. And this one you could actually read. Right, and, and it's about you. It's about this right. is going to take
0: half my income. Right, half my income. Right, to pay this loan. Or half so, my income in, in two years. Or half my income two years from now. Right. So anyway,
1: that's, that's one. A second thing is the way that the um, securitization markets developed, and it's uh, securitization in general uh, is a very uh, powerful financial force because it gets the bond-buying universe into financing mortgages, not just the, the deposit-making universe as it was, say, 30 years ago. Uh, but as... as As part of achieving that, as many people have observed, we have cut off the bearing of the credit risk from the decision maker. Uh, And there's no doubt that it would be a superior long-term incentive pattern if whoever is making the decision to make the loan actually had a long-term permanent interest in the credit performance of the loan. That's, that's part of our current bust, and there there are reasons, uh, mostly regulatory and accounting reasons, uh, why the securitization market worked that way, and I think those could be changed. I'd like to see a, a fundamental pattern where the, the, I'm not talking about the mortgage broker, I'm talking about the mortgage lender who's underwriting and, and actually making the credit decision, and by the way, that's who should complete and sign the one-page form, Mm -hmm. not the broker, but the lender, Uh, is is on the hook for the credit performance of the loan. I think that's doable. And a a third long-term idea is a a simple one that many people have talked about but we haven't done, and that is that someplace in your high school education, there should be a really straightforward course in what is a mortgage, what does it mean to pledge your house, uh, and how do you save for your down payment. Right uh, anyway those those are long term ideas now all these short term ideas i think a, a lot of them make sense uh, i i divide uh financial history into two phases uh, uh the uh the phase of uh, operation of the market uh which is 90% of the time and 90% of the time the market will will do just fine on its own and then the bust which is maybe 10% of the time maybe once every 10 years I did a, did a list one time of all of the financial crises I've personally lived through in my uh, in my own career which started in, as a training in the bank in 1969 it was an incredibly long list sing, filled up uh, a whole slide single spaced and uh, <laughs> but maybe so maybe 10% of the time you have some kind of financial problem and the logic of the bust is different. Uh, and the, the reason it's different is because in the bust, all the normal sorts of risk-return calculations tend to get uh, trumped by uh, by fear, by extremely high discounts for uncertainty uh, in calculations, and by procyclical cyclical uh, behavior of regulators and politicians and uh, financial actors. So uh, as Alex. everybody panic well but it's also you clamp down you know everybody clamps down at once everybody gets conservative at once everybody uh, raises the credit standards at once everybody is afraid to to invest at once and there's already
0: evidence of that right
1: and that's and that's where we are right now right and we're right in the middle of that and so when you're in, when you're in the middle of the bust uh, then some of these uh, interventions as long as they're temporary and focused on my notion Makes sense, and I think the kind of things that the Treasury Department uh, has worked on and coordinated—that uh, you you mentioned, the uh, the attempts to get readier modifications of loans, uh, the, the teaser freezer, uh, even uh, perhaps a temporary increase in the Fannie Freddie loan limits. So these things are all. Uh, Uh, things you do in the bust, and and here's why you do them, because when you're in the downward cycle, the self-reinforcing downward cycle that follows the self-reinforcing upward cycle, uh, is that you can get a downside overshoot that was as bad as the upside overshoot. So this time, we had uh, what appears to have been the greatest house price inflation uh, in the history uh, of America. So you had a huge upside overshoot. Now we're on the downside. So what happens on the downside? Well, defaults rise. Uh, credit becomes uh, scarcer. Standards are raised. It's harder to get a loan. This this reduces demand for houses. price of houses is falling. Uh, we have an excess supply of houses. I have a colleague here who says, I want you to think about this. We have an excess supply of houses. The excess supply is being exacerbated by foreclosures being put into the market. We have uh, insufficient demand for houses, and demand is being reduced because credit is being cut off. So, here's your question if demand is falling and supply is increasing, what will happen to price? (laughs) So, price is going down. So, now, as an empirical regularity, when house prices are going down, Defaults rise, because more and more people get upside down in their mortgages, and owe more on their mortgage than the house is worth. Defaults rise. As defaults rise, credit becomes even more conservative, and demand goes down, and prices fall more, and so you're in this self-reinforcing spiral. And that spiral will never last forever. It will get to a bottom. It will stabilize. But the question is, do you get, in, in the in this natural cyclical process, a really big downside overshoot and if you do, especially in the housing sector where you're talking about the place where people live uh, you can have a lot of uh, economic, financial and social uh, destruction that that you don't need because of the overshoot. And that's why I think that at that point some temporary targeted intervention makes sense and uh, as you know I've discussed the 1930s Right. uh, experience with the homeowners loan corporation right and uh, uh, and I'm ready uh, to say in fact the whole first part of that paper discusses how much worse it was during the 1930s than anything we could even imagine happening right now right but nonetheless the fundamental idea of that which is that uh, modifications of loans or reducing the rates or things uh, are fine uh, but but really what you need uh, if you want to to uh, uh, control the, the possibility of, of the downside overshoot is a refinancing capability where there is simply a new loan that The old, the old lender or the old investor, the, the old mortgagee is simply taken out and gets cash right. and stuck with an underperforming asset for years, as as might happen in these bankruptcy proposals gets cash, gets takes the loss, a loss in principle but, which has economically already happened. Right. Probably they've already written it down in right. their accounting books. But right. this realizes it. They get the cash. They go away. There's a new loan at the new level of values, uh, and th- that, uh, with luck, will be sustainable. And uh, and life
0: goes on. Well, so, I do want to. I do want to get to the bankruptcy uh, option. Obviously, uh, we, after all, are the American Bankruptcy Institute. But let me let me let me turn first. Um, to uh, the other, uh, the the loan corporation, if you will, um, idea. This is uh, Senator Dodd, uh, chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, who has expressed his impatience with the administration's rescue efforts. He's, among others, floated a plan that would set up, I believe it's like a $20 billion uh, fund that would buy defaulting subprime mortgages and restructure the loans uh, so presumably borrowers could in the homes, and you've testified, as you've suggested, in support of this concept, comparing it to the uh, Depression-era analogs of uh, the 1930s, yeah. so is this sort of, you know, desperate times calling for desperate measures?
1: Uh, I think so. By the way, uh, uh, we do have a bipartisan interest here. Uh, Congressman Mark Kirk, who's a Republican of Illinois, is also uh, uh, have, has a proposal very much along these lines. It com- comes out of the same uh, idea, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pleased to say that, the, that both of them have uh, uh, have discussed this uh, with me based on this uh, uh, historical experience. And, and as I say, there are obvious obvious differences, but this this fundamental idea of a refinancing uh, procedure make uh, makes some. Some sense at at a minimum to think about. Now, when you say twenty billion dollars, that's not the size of the fund. That's the size of the capital. If if you were going to set up a separate corporation, which is an issue in itself, right, that's the size of the capital that it suggested the government might contribute. The size of the refinancing that you would need is a number you would count in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Maybe three or four hundred billion dollars. Right. Um, the way the homeowners loan corporation worked, it was, as Ginny Mae is now, a government corporation wholly owned by the United States government with capital, that would be the $20 billion, against which it borrowed. Uh, so if you had $20 billion and you say levered it 15 to 20 times, you'd have three or $400 billion. Right. Its assets would then be the loans. It's essential in these ideas to have it be uh, a temporary idea and the 30s that operated for three years from 1933 to 1936 then under the statute um, could no longer acquire loans it could only work its existing portfolio right. Uh, right and then in a in a marvelously clear instruction uh, in the statute uh, the congress uh, instructed the directors of the corporation when your mission is done you will wind up the corporation liquidate it, and give the money back to the treasury right
0: which they did, right, a rare uh, example of a government agency putting ra- itself out of business yes
1: it 's one of the reasons I like it because the thing we do not ever want to have is a government housing bank right uh, that 's a uh, a permanent thing those Those have been tried many times around the world throughout history, and they 're always
0: a disaster. By the way, how does the um, American Enterprise Institute, a conservative, respected market oriented think tank um, Uh, support um, or support this sort of federal intervention well first
1: of all I should explain to you that the American Enterprise Institute which is devoted to to free markets and a free society as am I uh, but the American Enterprise Institute doesn't take any position on anything as an organization and neither do we (laughs) Uh, if, if you are a fellow as I am at AEI all your positions are purely your personal positions and so we always try to make it very clear in, in anything we do, including congressional testimony, that what you are hearing is the personal view of Alex J. Pollock, who happens to be a, an AEI fellow. But AEI has has no position. And by the way, there's no uh, a requirement that AEI fellows agree with each other, and we very often disagree about this. <laughs>
0: I I, uh, I I knew that, but in case anybody was uh, raising an eyebrow, uh, uh, I wanted you to uh, have the opportunity to make that clear. Yeah, well,
1: I I think there is no doubt that over the long term, uh, the welfare of ordinary people is uh, greatly enhanced by by free market economies and free societies. Having said that, uh, the logic of the bust is a little different and, and uh, my study of financial history as i said uh, leads me to believe that these busts are frequent and that when you're when you're in the downward spiral and and at risk of the damage they can do then uh, some temporary measures uh, may make sense right and this is this is a very big bust and a very big downward spiral
0: at the moment how about another aspect of of uh, the scope of the bust uh the irrational exuberance of the housing uh, bubble. Uh, Many people were, uh, take your pick, uh, A, allowed, B, encouraged, or C, suckered into buying houses with very little money down, and prices much higher than justified, and now the price is coming back to earth, uh, as you suggested. Many people find themselves owning homes, quote, owning homes, worth considerably less than their mortgages, leading to both Sort of involuntary and voluntary foreclosure. Yeah. Um, uh, voluntary foreclosure coming when the people with no skin in the game uh, simply walk away.
1: Yes. He- if you're really polite, you will mail the keys to the right. lender. Right. Jingle if mail. Impo- if you're impolite, you toss them in the bushes.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, non-recourse mortgages um, in states like California, for example. The yeah, bank. And of see-
1: course, mortgages can be effectively non-recourse even. Right. Even if the states. Formally, have have the ability to proceed with, against a, a de facto. Uh, a lot of the times, it just uh, here's your house.
0: And of course, all things, um, you know, all new trends, of course, start on the the uh, left coast here. <laughs> uh, and I I, I, was, I was recently uh, uh, had called to my attention um, an item. It was uh, posted at at a uh, an economics blog called Calculated Risk. A report of a growing trend in California uh, with regard to these uh, walkaways. There's even a California-based website which I'd never heard of, uh, called appropriately enough, YouWalkAway.com.
1: Oh, I'm sure, just you know, in the bubble, there were all kinds of websites and TV ads about how to get rich flipping things, right? Flipping condos or whatnot. So uh, now, now the, we'll have how to how to get out of your loan, uh, just right. like uh, all the ads we get for. How to go into bankruptcy and
0: get out of get out of your personal uh, unsecured debt. So, so here's the deal: they actually sell kits explaining the homeowner's right to walk if the house isn't a good deal anymore. Yeah, promising you know essentially as much as eight months of free rent. Oh yeah. Until the lender gets their act together, as they get all the way around the basis on a foreclosure. Yeah. Uh, so much for the moral hazard here of um, you know of engaging in, in in this sort of behavior.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, what of this uh, moral hazard is there? Should there be? Should our policies distinguish between those who engaged in uh, financial risk, you say, repeated equity stripping, you know, no money down, interest-only loans, and those facing foreclosure because of sharp practices by lenders, brokers, and others?
1: I think it would be good if you could do it, and there is, an, uh, of course, a very legitimate point of view, an argument. From people who did not get into speculation, behaved themselves more moderately, bought a house they could afford instead of a house they couldn't afford, Right. uh, got themselves a mortgage that maybe had a higher initial payment but was fixed rate that they could keep paying, uh, maybe didn't take that uh, expensive vacation and so they had the money as opposed to spend it, and they say, well, since now I've done this, uh, how come... How come somebody's going to, going to take my tax money to help the other guy who was who irresponsible? And I think that's a quite a legitimate point of view. I'm always on the side of the ant, as between the the ant and the grasshopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, on, on the other side, you have a uh, a, a macro problem uh, of uh, of the logic uh, of the bust and, and people caught in it. any steps you take to try to ameliorate that there'll be some free riders there'll be some people who get help that don't deserve it uh, in some way Uh, in the 1930s I I found a wonderful 1935 article about the Homeowners Loan Corporation where the author said well these people are defaulting on their loan on purpose so that they can get the favored financing from the government and all of these things will, will of course happened to some degree and you have to have to make a judgment about how uh, you, here are bad things happening you don't like but a, a really out of control downward spiral or debt deflation uh, is also something that's expensive to everybody, to the whole society and all the taxpayers and um, I think the fundamental thing is once the bubble has blown up uh, with all of the psychology of it that you were mentioning, and now the bubble is 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 deflating, and so you, you get this interaction of defaults and falling prices. At that point, you have no good options. You know, no options you'd really like. You have a series of bad options, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to you're trying to choose the ones that are the least bad. My uh, my observation uh, of financial history is that governments will always intervene, that there is a 100% probability, and that's safe this time because we've already gotten all these interventions right. that you right. named, and right. there'll be more. There's a 100% probability that governments will intervene in the bust, and the only question is can you do things which are relatively sensible, temporary, and focused as opposed to building up? Uh, things which are less sensible and are not temporary and are going to be long-term
0: distortions of the right. market. Well, to continue my metaphor, the the dog will catch the car at some point here. <laughs> uh, let me let me focus on on one more that we haven't talked about, but of course my audience is very interested in, and that is the bankruptcy uh, option. The New York Times uh, editorial page, a number of bankruptcy professionals, ABI members uh, across the board, uh, including uh, and most recently Republicans like Jack Kemp, uh, have supported a bankruptcy solution uh, as opposed to these repayment plans. And even in even in your uh, homeowner's uh, loan corporation, that is a repayment plan. Right. Uh, bankruptcy is very different. This is a resort to Chapter 13 to allow courts to modify the terms of the home mortgage, a new uh, fair market value of the home, a new interest rate, a new length of the term, Uh, of the loan uh, proposal in the House uh, passed the House Judiciary Committee uh, 17 to 15 in December. It's kind of been in a holding pattern since then. There's a corresponding uh, Senate bill. Needless to say, it's encountered a number of opponents uh, from the mortgage industry, investors, and so on. Uh, The Mortgage Bankers Association claims that interest rates would rise uh, significantly and that there would be less credit available to other borrowers. Uh, down the road, in your experience your thirty five plus years in housing finance, do you have a opinion um, of of the uh impact um, uh, particularly in terms of the cost of credit uh if Congress uh went down this path as an option to the current crisis? I am not in favor of allowing bankruptcy judges
1: to strip down uh, mortgages to, to current values and then to extend the, the, the term of the mortgage. Uh, I, don't, I think there's no doubt about the fact that that will have a significant cost in terms of the functioning of the mortgage system. I don't know what the number is, but it will certainly be a reduction of availability, especially on the, uh, on the, the lower end of the credit scale. The way I look at it is that the ability to hypothecate the house is a right of the borrower, and most people think about this as saying, "Well, you can't make loans from the point from the lender's point of view if, if you don't have a secure interest uh, in the house, because we're engaging in a highly leveraged transaction here." And that's that's true enough to, as a point, but I think the more interesting point is. That the borrower ought to have a right, truly, to hypothecate the house in order to induce the lender to make the loan, and understanding that it's because I've got this asset that, in case I don't pay, that you can take. That's how come I get the chance to have it, uh, and and to see if, uh, if, if as I hope, I can pay this off and, and gain over over time the uh, the appreciation of the asset, and so. I, th- I think on, on that principle, you want to have this uh, pledging of the house, uh, true and secure, and you would would not have this bankruptcy uh, ability to strip it down. So, uh, a part of this is an expectation uh, of what do you think happened to house prices over time? Uh, temporary refinancings uh, on the on the model of the homeowners loan corporation. Uh, or any of these plans where you're dealing with the bust really have an underlying belief and the belief is that with time house prices will will recover and will continue on, a, on an upward trend it seems to me clear that in a in a in an economy with endemic inflation which is what we've got and have had since nineteen thirty five that uh, um, if if you have what we call in the press, quote no inflation, which means two percent a year inflation over time. Prices of houses and other real assets will rise on the trend. and they'll cycle around the trend, mm-hmm. so uh, those prices will go up. If you uh, if you have this ability of the judges to strip down the asset, you're you're giving a free option then to the borrower who's gotten the judge to renegotiate his deal for him. Taking away the the true pledge of the house, he's got that long term uh, appreciation, which uh, which is the, the uh, which doesn't strike me as uh, as a fair proposition. So um, just to, just to
0: follow up, then, if, if for example the uh, the bill were formulated in a way that there was a shared appreciation of that uh, inevitable upswing uh, in the house value, if that somehow could be uh, shared between the the homeowner and the lender would that make the proposals more acceptable because they would then sort of mimic the uh, that,
1: would, that would be less bad. Uh, shared appreciation is a, an idea that always arises. It's it's tricky in practice, uh, but could be thought about. Okay. Okay. Um, but I think in all of these thoughts, as we think about the bubble, the bust, the. the correction of the market, interventions, really underneath all of them is an idea that with time, you get asset prices again uh, rising, maybe not back to their bubble peaks for a while, you know, for some number of years, but nonetheless, this underlying rising trend uh, is there and
0: will continue. Right. Well, on that note, uh, we're about out of uh, I guess that's an optimistic note
1: to end on. It is, and that's why I want <laughs> That's why I want to stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not, not, not the least of which, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to thank our uh, distinguished guest, Alex Pollock, a resident scholar of the American Enterprise Institute, for sharing his understanding of the mortgage crisis. I really enjoyed our our time today. I did, too, and thank you very much for having me. We will uh, look forward to continuing to uh, cover these uh, policy ideas uh, on our website, ABI World, uh, through the balance of this uh, session of the Congress in the coming year, um, and uh, and look forward to uh, uh, providing our, our members with uh, the latest, uh, both officially and unofficially, coming out of uh, Washington. And so until next time, on behalf of the American Bankruptcy Institute, This is Sam Giordano saying good day.